Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and for those that are just disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage via conversation and should you wish to contact us as well by email, you can. Our email address is ogc at accessradio.biz and biz is spelt B-I-Z. Our guest today is an internationally renowned singer-songwriter. There's every chance you've sung several of his compositions, including Abba Father, Let Me Be, So Freely, I'm a New Creation. So what's it like playing and singing your well-known choruses years on for when they were first recorded? Is he a glory chaser or a true West Ham fan? See a photograph of him on his Facebook page, you'll understand why I say that. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to Offgate Christianity, Dave Bilbra. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Where are you, good sir? Uh, I'm in East London, in Romford. Martin, it's great to be with you. The sun is shining. I'm looking out at my window and I can see my garden and, uh, yeah, squirrel's just gone by. So, red or grey? <laughs> oh, it's a grey one, I'm afraid. Yeah. We're not making a comeback yet. So, come on then, yeah. just before we go to the five questions, are you a true West Ham fan or a part-timer? No, I'm a true West Ham fan. I um, started supporting them in 1964. The first Ooh. match I went to, we won 5-0 against an All-Stars team. It was a charity game. Yeah. That was my dad trying me out. And then from there, I became an ardent fan. And, of course, it was the glory years. 1964, uh, we won yeah. the FA Cup. 65, we won the European Cup Winners Cup. I was there. Oh. And um, I've Where been was following that played? them since. So, that was played at Wembley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wembley Stadium. Now, the thing was, we've just won this tournament. Um, Have you? Yes, in Europe. <laughs> and it's the first time m- my son has ever experienced us actually winning anything. So when that winning goal went in, I tell you, the place here, who we came over to view it with me, the place was absolutely shaking with, <laughs> with noise. Wow. Couldn't get over it. Didn't you fancy going over to the final? That would have been good. Uh, tickets were very scarce. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people went over just to be part of the yeah. whole sort of vibe. No, I didn't. I didn't go over. I watched it on TV. I'm afraid, mm-hmm. but uh, oh, it was it was tense in this household. I tell you, I bet it was. I bet it was. Well, congratulations to you and your team, anyway. Thank you. But if you want to see a successful winning team, you ought to support my team. I tell you, which is <laughs> Bristol City. Oh, the my mighty goodness. Reds. I tell you, the mighty. <laughs> It's Bristol City and Bristol Rovers, aren't there? Yeah, and so no, yeah. no, just Bristol City. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Bristol Rovers are. Never heard of them. No, never heard of them. <laughs> a bit like them. There's another team in Manchester, I'm told as well. Yeah, yeah uh, Stockport County, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're good yeah. team. <laughs> yeah. So we could talk about football all the time, Rivalry but the people in America go. Yeah, what are we talking about? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but it, it's amazing, isn't it? It sort of gets into yeah. I mean. I guess it's a little bit tribal, but uh, you know, it is. It does, football does kind of impact you in a, a big, big way. And especially when you're growing up as a kid, you sort of imbibe some of those values <laughs> of the team and so on. And, and you do. And mm. there'll be plenty of people listening at the moment going, oh, the glory years in the 60s, yeah, yeah. Sir Bobby Moore, Jeff yeah. Hurst, all yeah. those people. And then people might say Bobby Gould because he played for Bristol City yeah, as well. So. that's right. Good and point. the other team. Mm. But actually, interesting enough, Years back, when I was doing the, the breakfast show on a, a Christian radio station, I used to, f- every Saturday, phone up a, a chaplain who was part of a football team. Mm. And I remember vividly phoning up the chaplain, I can't remember his name, for West Ham United. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he was sharing how he got involved with the club. Mm. And he was like the go-to man from the club. So if anyone wanted a wedding or had yeah. died or something like that, yeah, and they yeah. wanted some West Ham support... He'd be yeah. the man to go for. Oh, cool. I don't know whether that still exists at West Ham, but he was... Quite um, like that. That would be uh, quite a nice role to sort of double up there. Yeah, you okay. could do that, couldn't you? I could write a few anthems as well for the terraces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm forever singing choruses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Question one, kind sir. If you yes. could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so you could ask him questions, who would it be? Well, this man actually would be very much alive. But in his 80s, and it would have to be Sir Bob, Bob Dylan. Oh, really? Yeah, because, I mean, he strands through such a long expanse of musical history. You know, I mean, um, from the early days, uh, Woody Guthrie. When you hear early Bob Dylan, it's Woody Guthrie, this uh, American folk singer who went through uh, the 30s writing uh, songs and, and through to the 50s. 
And then, you know, he, he moved from Duluth, changed his name, uh, Robert Zimmerman, he was, and he became Bob Dylan, moved to New York, kind of reinvented himself, as he has done over the years, became a folk icon, Pete Seeger, a legend in folk music. Mm-hmm. He uh, adopted him, Newport Festival, and then they all had a massive fallout because he went electric. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Bob Dylan was suddenly there, this poet, with energy and angst and he was writing these songs um and you know you you follow his career and touched influential people johnny cash all the all these uh, musicians who've been influenced by this poet i would imagine it would be a very edgy sort of time i don't think he'd be an easy person to talk to i think he would be quite difficult but you know, the way he strings words together, his poetry in his songs and the fact that he's just kept going and uh, creating music yeah, is an inspiration and been an inspiration to so many. So, yeah, he's still going strong, 82, I think, and uh, still touring. I, the yes. never-ending tour, I think they call it. <laughs> With Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a great cartoon that just sent to me only this week, actually, and it was Bob Dylan in the bathroom, and underneath it, it said... Bob Dylan uses an electric toothbrush for the first time. And it, by the mirror, it's a, an ordinary toothbrush yeah. with a little caption coming out saying Judas. And I, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Have you seen that one? I have. And it, is, <laughs> it made me chuckle as well. But it was such a big thing because, you know, in those days, music was very sort of, there were different streams of it. And, and, and a folk musician would not go electric no. at all. I mean, that, that would be completely out of the blue. So, you know, when he did that it was radical and yes. it was it and that's the thing about dylan he's not been afraid to be radical in the way that he does things and um i would be inspired by that i think i would find it a difficult evening <laughs> i think i would have to pour myself a long a long glass of something at the end of it and say <laughs> i did it he makes his own whiskey doesn't he does it oh well so. there is dylan whiskey does he actually make it or is it just personally under his brand? i don't know no i can't <laughs> i don't think he's got time if he's writing all these songs Mind you, I think a lot, a lot of his songs, you know, he's probably sitting up there at three in the morning drinking whiskey. Yeah, yeah. And it's all coming. But, I mean, some of the imagery, some of the words he uses and the way he strings them together are profound. And, of course, he was made Poet Laureate, which is a, a bit controversial because some people say, well, poetry is different from lyrics and songs. So there's a bit of a sort of view one way or the other. But um, I don't know. If he turned up, right, yeah. and yeah. he says that, we can talk about anything, but can you ask me one question? Yeah. What do you think you'd ask him? Well, I would be intrigued by his uh, his spiritual roots, actually, mm. because there was a whole thing that went on, you know, he, he, um, Slow Train Coming, which was the album, and he was very influenced by John Wimber, who he used to go to Bible studies with. Oh, really? Um, of course, he had a Jewish background, and, and I, mm. I understand his understanding of the bible is absolutely amazing because he studies things he reads things uh in a very profound way and i know john wimber had a lot to do with uh with bob dylan and there was the time you know we heard about his conversion and Mm -hmm. i went to see him on tour and uh slow train and he did an album called saved some people loved it some people were walking out he's gone religious what's going on what's going on you know since that time you haven't really been able to see too much of a trail through it. But there is, if you follow it, there there is a, a trail, but it's not so blatant as it was. And I'd be interested to know, I guess, to pluck up the courage to ask him, you know, about his spiritual journey and, and where that where that has led him. Yes, because, you know, I follow it from a distance. And I think the last thing I read was that he doesn't need to talk about it because it's all out there, you know. Mm. Mm. And I thought, well, that's a very good answer. Do you mean his music is all out there or...? God is all out there. Yeah, about him being a Christian. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sir Intriguing. Bob, if you're listening, please mm. let us know. Come on, drop me an email. Drop, <laughs> drop him an email, please. We'll give the email address at the end, Bob, don't worry. And yep. he might even give you a signed West Ham shirt. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Might. <laughs> I wonder what his hobbies are, actually. He hasn't got any, according to you. <laughs> Just writing songs. <laughs> Yeah. Playing his guitar. <laughs> mm. Well, congratulations. Not, not quite the longest first answer we've had. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that went to Dana. Okay. Who said at the end, she said, I thought it was the end of the interview, which I thought was a great line. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please? Well, actually, if I'm allowed to, oh, yes, but please. they're interwoven. They're interwoven oh. because 
my name is David John Bilbra. Right. So that gives a clue. David. Uh-huh. David. Amazing <laughs> person in Psalms. Yes. Writing all these Psalms. Not just the uh, victorious Psalms, but the exploration of what faith is, why God, as well as yes, God. Mm -hmm. uh, and John, because John had this sort of close association with, with Jesus. Which and John? Just this to show is, that I've, I've read John the Bible. In the New Testament, who wrote the New Testament, uh, who wrote the book of John. In, Not in John the Baptist. The New Testament. Not John the Baptist. No, no, no. It would be John in the New Testament who wrote one of the Gospels. Very good. And I would very much align myself with a lot of his understanding because it's, he writes in a very poetic way, the way that you sort of see God being um, not just a factual, transactional God, but um, bringing light to different areas of, of who God is. In fact, he talks about God being light, and, and that's, mm. that's one of So I think the, the, the poetry linked him with the activism of David, who was king, you know, warrior, all, all these things, starting out a shepherd's boy, of course, uh, would be an interesting time to talk to them. Yes. So, yeah. I wonder how you would take it if you invited John, and one mm. of your first questions to John would be, well, what exactly is Revelation all about? No, that would be a very interesting question. You'd probably need a few days' seminar on that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's about worship. It's about another dimension. It's about not just living from a material view of things, but mm. seeing things from a different standpoint, a much bigger standpoint than what we know. But there's an awful lot I don't understand. Yeah. You know. And a previous guest uh, in a podcast said that uh, when I asked him this question, he said, that uh, he'd like to meet the prophet Daniel, he said, because oh, yeah. Daniel is interwoven mm. uh, throughout Revelation. Mm. So we could ask John that as well. Tell us yeah, about Daniel. Ask him all about it, yeah. yeah. There he is on Patmos. And oh, I'd love to go there. He sees that. All opens up. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. I'd, no, I'd love to go there. Mm. Not just to go to where, obviously, he wrote it, but, you know, enjoy the sun and the olives. and Absolutely. Blue sky. Blue sky. But, you know, with, with Revelation, I mean, so many people have taken it, their little proof texts and made things, you know, like this is what's going to happen and all the rest. And I don't know. It's yeah, all yeah. bigger than I can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, your ways are greater than me, so I leave it at that. God is in control. Good answer. Question three. If you were Prime Minister for the day and could change any law or impose new law, what would it be, good sir? Traffic cones. Oh, tell me Traffic more. cones where there are no roadworks. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a musician, so you might be playing in Sheffield, pack up, put all your gear in the, in the, in the vehicle, be driving along thinking, oh, we're going to do well, we're going to do well. We're back in London at three o'clock in the morning. And then all of a sudden, there's traffic cones. Yep. And you look and you slow down, you're crawling along, and you're looking for any side of activity or anything that means your speed is reduced. The journey goes to a halt. There's no road construction crew. No one's working mile after mile. What are we doing? And um, then you get the diversion sign. You've got the orange and white. Then you get the diversion, which, what's that, yellow? Yeah. And you're off. And you're off to a roundabout and you, it says uh, alternative route or whatever. And you're trying to follow these, these uh, arrows and you're thinking, where am I going? Where am I going? So it would be roadworks or where there are traffic cones and no one's actually working. I think that drives me crazy. Yes. And I would change that, especially after midnight. Is that a good one? Yeah, it's a very good one. Thank you. Yes. Uh, some people have been give, giving oh, yeah. uh, very serious answers to these, so it's nice yeah. to get it back to how it's supposed to be. You know, <laughs> little things you down the hill for. There are lots of things you'd like to change, but if we could start with traffic cones, you know. Yes. Those plastic things that you see in the road that, oh, my goodness, yeah. you know something's coming. You're going down 60, 50, 40, 30. You become friends with the car beside. <laughs> I just had pictures of you. You left Sheffield down to follow the diversion mm. signs. And then you might get lost a bit. And the next sign you see, Edinburgh, six miles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you've gone round the roundabout the wrong way, which is the dread, isn't it? it you is. hit that roundabout and you're looking for that sign. Oh, I'm off. You follow everybody else, actually, that time of the morning. You do. You, you know? do. So I, I, there I am, rolling at 5 a.m. 
Hello, Pat. <laughs> I was delayed a bit. Mm. Question four. Outside of family events, what has been your most enjoyable day out, good sir? This is a difficult one, but, I, you know, where I came to in the end was going to a day out in Myanmar, which is in Burma. Oh, really? And uh, I was there with a Christian organisation. Pat, uh, my wife, and, uh, and I were over there. And uh, we had a day off and we went to Mandalay. Well, actually, we were in Mandalay. The road to Mandalay. I was was Rudyard Kipling uh, wrote the poem. Growing up as a kid, again, we were talking about football, but growing up as a kid, I remember my uh, parents on their radiogram, they had this um, album with Frank Sinatra uh, singing uh, Come Fly With Me, but yeah. on there was a track called The Road to Mandalay, which Rudyard Kipling wrote. Never knew that. Yeah. Was it also a film with uh, yes. Bob Thingy and Bing yes. Thingy? Bing Crosby. Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. Well, the thing is, Myanmar, formerly known as Burma, is is a really undiscovered kind of place. So you, suddenly you're in this completely different environment. And we went for this day off, and we went. We were taken up to the hills, and uh, of course there's Buddhist temples all around, and there's the the monks in their their garb. There's golden uh, pagodas. You know, there's rust. They've got these russet color, uh, colored garbs that they're wearing. There's pinks, and there's greens everywhere very colorful kind of area and um you've got these uh gongs that they're they're hitting which it's got, it feels very mystical when you're yeah. up, up the hills and you're looking out at this very rural area in green and it's very verdant just the beauty of this undiscovered place uh an englishman standing standing there in, in burma re- really affected us both why it's a bit like Revelation, I suppose. We're talking about Revelation. Yeah. You're taken out of the norm. Uh-huh. And when you're taken out of the norm, you see things in, in different ways. The, the atmosphere, the feel, the feeling of peace uh, that was high up in the hills um, really impacted us both. And I think, you know, it's at those times you've got to seize those moments and say, here I am, this is me, I'm going to drink all this in. And I can't explain it all with words, but there was there was something very very beautiful and um, yeah. very mystical actually. Of course, there was the the Buddhist temples around, and um, in fact, it was I had to do some concerts. And of course, in some places, it was a bit like playing in the church hall because you end up playing in the, in the by the Buddhist temple yeah. uh, because they haven't got church hall. So so <laughs> that was interesting. That's that's really good point that you're making there because you know we we assume of Burma as I used to know it. Growing up now, Myanmar, mm. as you say, mm. traditionally Buddhist. How mm. are you welcomed as a Christian with your guitar? Well, of course, you've got to open up the doors to people. If you're going to communicate with people, you've got to see them for what they are. And uh, they're not the opposition. They are they are people. God's love goes out to all the world and, and touches all people. God loves the world. God so loves the world. So you find that which is in common, just like Paul and uh, Athens, you know. Are yes. The, the altar to the unknown god what did he do he start he started by actually quoting a poet um some would say a secular poet or he connected where people are and uh, yeah there's a small band of, of christians which was obviously the prime group of people that i was I, I was with but we've got to try and make our gospel attractive to the ordinary people the mm. people who are on outside who don't know the language who don't know the lingo you know, I love that phrase about Jesus where it says the common people heard him gladly. You know, that means the normal people were touched by his message. And uh, we've got to find ways of communicating. So, uh, yes, mainly it was Christians that I was singing to. Uh, but uh, I would hope that those people who were on the outside would find it accessible to what yes. I was doing. Yes. And with respect, I, I was treating people with respect, hopefully. Or where they where they are in their journey. Thank you for saying that. And I'd like to explore a bit further if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because we know it's a, a Buddhist country, or people from mm. listening here will now know it's a Buddhist country. How are you treated as the fact that you weren't a Buddhist from the, the locals? Uh, well, I was treated with a bit of mystery because who is this English person um, who plays a guitar? So, and I suppose that makes me stand out from the crowd. So, um, yeah. <laughs> pretty obvious i've come uh, for a a reason 
Yeah, welcoming. Uh, yeah, welcome. I mean, I saw some of the, the things that they are doing um, when it comes to uh, charity works and uh, really, really good. So I think we've got to connect with each other on that wavelength. And, and then obviously I've got a story to tell um, and to share, a uh, story to share. So, you know, yes. I don't make any bones about that. That's that's what I'm there for. But also it's got to be clothed in revealing Christ through through the works and the charity that I was involved with or over there for very involved with um, practical uh, helping people of all faiths but with a Christian ethos uh, which I was happy to do. What did you glean from talking to the locals about you know, the fact they might well be Buddhist and you're a Christian what did you glean from them? The, the thing that runs through all faiths is compassion um, you know it's, it, it's most profound sense uh, that feeling. In fact, when they ring those gongs, you know the the big gongs. Uh, that is what they're ringing out. They're ringing out compassion and wisdom. That's what they're they're sort of prayers uh, symbols. That, and I think there's a lot we could learn about that in you know in the Christian church. Really, compassion and wisdom. Wisdom. Um, Definitely. Often we're very very quick to to speak, but we're not so good at listening. And ultimately, you know, it's what we are, not just what we say that communicates. So, you know, there are certain people that I met that did have big, big impact me in, in terms of seeing seeing who they were, the value of their lives and the way they were making their lives count. And I hope, you know, the same happened the other way around. Wow. Just signposting for episode 50 that's coming out in a, a couple of weeks' time. Mm. It was recorded yesterday and we were looking at uh, mental health and mm. it was led by a chap who's very high up in Church of England as a psychotherapist called Peter Mockford. We were talking about that, or he was, should I say, about mm. compassion, about communication, about yeah. listening. And that it seems that the church needs to understand that more to help out. So perhaps yeah. we could come back to that in a minute, if that's mm. all right. Yeah, sure. Because I'd love to hear mm. what y your views are mm. on it, please. Mm. But before we do, question five, yeah. your most embarrassing moment, of which there must be at least one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one a day. <laughs> if I could tell you one. Please. Okay, so there I am, Dave Bilber, doing a concert. It's been a great evening. Finish, go to the back. There's a CD stand. This a few years ago, so there's CDs then. I'm standing at the back and people are buying the CDs. Great. Well, somebody says, oh, could you sign my CD? So I said, well, I haven't got a pen. So, yeah. Um, and somebody gives me, reaches out and gives me a pen. So I start signing the CD. I, you know, Doris, hope you enjoy this. God bless. And, you know, Stan comes up. He says, oh, would you sign mine? And, you know, Frida comes up. I would sign it. She's always at gigs, Frida, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we ran out of CDs. It must have been a good night. I must have been good that night. <laughs> so we ran out. So people are starting to give me, you know, tickets for the concert, tickets for last last month's Noel Richards concert. You know, I'm signing it. Sainsbury's, uh, <laughs> Sainsbury's vouchers. <laughs> I'm signing it all. So we ran out of people, and eventually someone puts their hand out. So they, they stretch out their hand. So I think, oh, this is novel. This is novel. So I start to sign their hand. She says to me, "No, I want my pen back." <laughs> <laughs> brilliant so, yes that brought me down to a certain level after a great evening uh, <laughs> good concert a lot of cds sold but embarrassed dave <laughs> i made my way quickly to the car probably that was one of those nights where i did hit the traffic cones uh, and ended up in edinburgh as well but yeah, we won't go there that answer yeah. has given me a couple of avenues we can explore if that's all right the first one sure. was that you said the n-word noel Yes. Uh, as you might know, uh, he's been very, very gracious on these podcasts mm. and he's mm. be, be been on a couple of times, especially at Easter and at Christmas. Yeah. Hello, Noel, if you're listening. Doing a very basic research last night, I wasn't aware just how far back you go with Mr. Noel uh -huh. Richards. So tell me more about yes. you know how you met and Gerald Coates as well. Please. Well, yes. Well, I first met Noel and Tricia, his beautiful wife, way back in 1978. Wow. Yeah, Gerald Coates, uh, he, he put on a big event in a tent uh, near his home, which was in Cobham in Surrey. Yeah, it was one of those things, you know, a big tent. Uh, Cliff Richard actually came one night. Um, I've heard of it him. was when he, yeah, yeah, it was, it was when he went to number one with We Can't Talk Anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he was really um, on fire that night. He came and, and sang. I was introduced to this couple. Uh, and it's funny, isn't it? You meet people and you, 
uh, some people it's just passing and other people there's a sort of lifelong connection and that was the beginning uh, of a lifelong connection with Noel and seen his music blossom and seen his uh, influence grow in uh, amazing ways and yeah so we we were connected up with via Gerald Coates really uh, a great pioneer who led a, a movement of churches called Pioneer that one of the big hallmarks being non-religious Christianity. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, took people out, many people out of a very sort of formal, static uh, way of seeing church into a relational, organic uh, way. He was always wanting to develop the new ideas and uh, new forms of church, new forms of doing evangelism, new forms of, of, of touching people and the outside of, of our you know, regular haunts. And uh, Gerald had this ability to gather together a lot of good communicators. I mean, Jeff Lucas, uh, Martin Smith from the Delirious, Sue Rinaldi. Yeah. And so, you know, he he would love the big event and the, the, the music. And that's, I guess, gave myself and Noel a platform, which was great. Yeah, yeah it's amazing, isn't it? Some churches say, oh, yes, such and such came from our church. But when you look at the, the pedigree of uh, Gerald Coates's church, it's yeah, fantastic. yeah. Well, the movement and there, there was create, you know, creativity was very much on the fore, and um, it led to some crazy moments sometimes. Some predictability. There was a whole phase where that prayer, it was bringing sticks and uh, Martin Scott, yeah, the oh, big yes. stick that he used to bang uh, in the middle of the meeting. No, tell me about that. I don't know anything about that one. <laughs> the various sort of, can I say, fads or crazes or emphases, depending <laughs> on how you might see it. But yeah, banging stick, it was like a big sort of call. Well, it was a call to prayer, but it was more than a call to prayer. It was sort of a physical action of prayer, breaking through, I suppose. And uh, yeah, it became quite quite a thing, as did the umbrellas at one stage. Um, you know, people would put up umbrellas that was a sign that rain was falling and they were trying to protect themselves and all these sort of things. That, but, you know... There were some wonderful things happened and some fantastic songs came out um, through the body of Christ, through through the pioneer, which um, was great. And, you know, it was people like Gerald yes. who uh, gave permission. Um, I mean, for myself, when I first started writing songs, uh, you know, I'm just a young kid just writing songs, but it was other people who gave me a platform, which is really important to uh, give me the opportunity and to learn from experiences. Yes, they weren't waiting for the finished product, because I think with all things creative, you've got to try things, and then you try things. Some work and some don't. You know, it's fine. Yes, uh, but it's all part of the process. That leads on to something else, if that's okay. And by the mm. way, if Martin Scott is listening, hello, Martin. You've been a, a source of great help to me over the past few months, so thank you. Martin could explain the sticks yeah. much better than I can. <laughs> don't you worry. I'm going to be asking him that next time I email him or something. But. Something that you, you, you alluded to there, if that's okay, mm. um, and perhaps we could talk about more. A quote I found from Resource magazine. Let's use lament, protest and stay orientated songs as part of our Sunday morning repertoire. Mm. And immediately I thought of Bob Dylan, who you've talked about mm. already, so mm. don't have to talk mm. about that anymore. But a protest song made me think, oh, well, you could have Psalms, I suppose. But you tell me more what you meant by that, please, sir. Oh, did I write that? Well, I don't know whether he wrote it, but he said it. I probably <laughs> did, yeah. I probably did. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, <laughs> I, I think the thing is, I think the thing is that musicians, um, and I say this humbly, uh, are very often, because they're not trampled mm-hmm. by uh, the institution, they can see things clearly, uh, and they see things mm-hmm. ahead sometimes of the pack. That's why they write songs, and songs of proclamation come out of that, and there's a prophetic element to a to a musician they're not just saying thank you god but they're pointing people in a certain direction and you see that with certain songs that become anthems and i think along with that if you look at society if you look at the the civil rights movement there was a groundswell of of songs we shall overcome yes you know uh that that would put words into into people's mouths that they could say this is me i'm joining i'm part of this and um Perhaps we focus so much in our worship on thanking God, rightly so, for who he is, that we haven't looked out on behalf of the the rest of the world and put those protest songs out there about about the injustices of, of the world, along with those songs of lament, in a way that other people outside of church can kind of connect with and say, I, 
I, you know, actually, I think about that. Songs about the environment. Um, songs about the way we treat each other. Uh, songs about our financial institution. I mean, maybe that's not my sphere, but, you know, to encourage people to do that, I think it would be really great. But unfortunately, there's not necessarily the market within the Christian world that would necessarily mm. consume that. Yeah, to find some anthems that, that give us a different way. I think, you know, music uh, lifts us up, encourages us, but also challenges us. People like Bob Dylan, when they were writing, uh, those, those uh, uh, with God on our side, you know, he was writing a song where he was talking about America and its attitude towards Vietnam. And he was saying, really uh, questioning the values of America and saying, we, we think we've got God on our side, you know. That would be quite quite something to see, wouldn't it? It would. Well, mm. what's the nearest you ever come to writing a protest song? Perhaps you have, and we don't know about it. A protest song? Yeah, I've written lots of songs that are sort of, um, if you like, breaking through. Uh, songs that, you know, I wrote this song, which actually was based on something Gerald Coates once said about, um, we talked about being a pioneering people, so I wrote this song called The Train Song. It had about nine verses. So it was the right sort of thing to... Uh, but it was it was challenging our uh, view of the status quo, uh, and I've written several several like that songs that challenge the view of the status quo within the church. Yes, you know, an army of ordinary people will be another one, I guess that uh, that tells us we we're a militant a militant group of people, but clothed in love. Yes. Um, so I guess my songs would be more on the challenging side rather than the protesting side yes. and pointing towards people towards a new direction yeah yeah when you said that it shows you how simple my brain is when you said the status quo within the church i just envisaged francis mm. rossi and oh yeah Rick parfit they've written new chorus in the church or something that'll be good oh, wouldn't it be fantastic wouldn't it that would <laughs> absolutely brilliant but hey mm. i think you mean another mm. status quo yeah. yeah that's right but moving further on with this if that's mm. okay and there's another quote that you you said i won't read it out mm. it's to do with risk and mm. there was a time apparently where you were sitting next to Gerald Coates and whoever was preaching up front. Oh, yeah. Gerald told you to go up and strum the guitar mm. Mm. next to this, this preacher. That's right. It was a chap called Barney Coombs, I thought. Oh, remember. okay. And uh, Barney Coombs uh, was a well-known speaker at that time with an unusual name. Gerald sat next to me and it was one of those situations where he was, Barney was speaking and no one knew what to do. Uh, so you get the sort of nervous looks. It, this was the days where the the communicators, the speakers and the musicians all yes. sat on the platform looking very, very spiritual and very <laughs> godly. Barney would, was coming to the end of this talk and um, they're sort of looking at me like, what are we going to do now? What are we going to sing? And uh, I had nothing. And he said, Gerald just said to me, go up and play. So I went to the microphone and this is many years back. It's become a little bit more commonplace now, but it was many, many years back. There I was, what do I do? Well, I just kind of trying to capture what uh, Barney's speaking about and put it into music. And so I just began to play and to put it into music and it went on for quite a, a long time and actually emerged into something really quite quite wonderful, uh, even though I'm saying myself, it doesn't always go that way, but it did. Why? What happened? Um, well, I think there was just a feeling of worship came into a, a, a new dimension uh, with it. People rose into the occasion. This is something unfamiliar. What are we doing here? Let's just take our time. Because often, you know, in, in a Christian worship setting, it's all about going from one song to the other song to the other song. And then we reach the end of the journey and then we're, we're into the talk. And we need time to linger and to dwell and to allow the mystery of who God is to settle. So for some people in that congregation as i recall and it was a long time ago there was a sense of joy and a sense of conviction i say conviction meaning convic conviction in 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 what they mm. believe and in others there was a sense of uh longing and um tenderizing uh, uh, uh hungering after god and i think worship should do that it should it should have the different elements you know it's not pre-packaged it's not now is the time for man mandatory jollity um, it's the time of celebration, yes, but it's also the time of lingering in the presence and recognising that whenever there's a group of people together, there's going to be people who are on top yes. of the world and there's going to be people who are struggling and finding difficulty. And the role of the musician, surely, 
is to hear from God, yes, but also to interpret that in a way that is accessible to people where they are. And, you know, sometimes that means going out of the box and taking a few risks and maybe even singing over people gently if it's necessary, just to give a bit of direction and playing music, being open to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think music does that. It builds bridges with people. One of the things I I really enjoyed a few years ago, I was um, thinking about finding new access for my for my music because so I've been doing writing worship songs for a long time and and I will continue to do that but I was praying Lord I want to, I want you to open the door for me in a new way and I kept going past this little theater in in London called the German Street okay. Theater and it was a tiny little theater um I, I kept going past it and every time I go past it I'd say a little prayer God you know open up the doors open up the doors and one day I'm standing there and the doors open up and the chat uh, says to me can I help you so I said well actually yeah I'd love to have a look downstairs so I went downstairs and there was this small theater with kind of cinema type yes. seats and really intimate and I thought this is it this is it this is the place for me so I started an evening where I would sing not just my songs but songs that have influenced me down through the years from mainstream songwriters to Bob Dylan's to Paul Simon's the, the songs that you know I connect with and mix in some of the songs that perhaps would be meaningful to someone from a non-church background or, you know, a mildly church background, and interweave that with some stories, you know, some fun, some humour, and some meaningful moments. And I really learned a great deal, as much as giving out, I learned a great deal from that because I I realised that you've got to take people from where they are, and we had, you know, the the sound crew and, and, and that at the theatre coming to these events and being really, really yeah. touched. And um, the conversations we had afterwards were, were very good because sometimes in the church, we, we think we've got this way of communicating that is one packaged message, do this, do this, then, whereas we need to entice people and draw people in. And I found some of the uh, songwriters who are writing amazing songs, write, write songs from deep in their hearts that connect uh, with, with people on, on this deep level. And if I can then introduce some of my appropriate songs um, that give hope, that give faith, uh, that give a, a sense of anchor to our lives about who God is mm-hmm. and my experience uh, interweed with it, you know, some of my stories and the fun and, the, and all the rest, uh, that could be an inspiration. So that carried on for, for quite a few years, actually, and... Um, I suppose in some ways I still carry some of that uh, around as I go I go on my journeys. So I, I call my evenings now Tales of a Troubadour. Yeah, my journeys uh, in various uh, environments from a boxing ring uh, before a fight where I really <laughs> I was asked to sing a song. My goodness, I sang Let There Be Love Shine Among Us. <laughs> 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 you know, well, what else could you do, you know? Fight the good fight. <laughs> or, or the boxer by Simon Garfunkel. Yeah. The boxer, yeah. That's one that I do, actually. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, the boxer. Just as a quick mm. aside then, is there a secular band that if they phoned you up and said, Dave, such and such has left the band, we need you in for a quick tour, which band would you like to go for then? Oh, for a quick tour? Well, I'd like to be in Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Very good. That would be amazing because their harmonies are, I mean, I was listening to two of them just singing uh, the other day back in uh, an old film, you know, of them singing in the 70s. And it's incredible, the profound harmony. So, yeah, I'd love to be part of that. But then I'd love to be, you know, or a Paul Simon band with his band of musicians. Uh I don't think I could follow all the chords because I think they're quite quite tricky. Intricate. What would really stretch me would be in Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes because i'm a creep no, no, sorry no i'm not i don't think i am but yes to play that to go yeah, yeah. yeah. it'd probably end up peter paul and mary to be honest <laughs> wouldn't i <laughs> we don't know but yeah the, the ruttles uh the, the great neil in his uh band you always yeah. called crosby stills nashing young as crosby stills nashing young gifted and black which i thought was great <laughs> very good so peter paul mary and mungo and midge i think would be the other one yeah no, thank mm. you. Just an aside on that. But, mm. okay, pushing, pushing the barriers a bit more, mm. and you mentioned the R word, risk. Mm. I'd like to know more about what you think on risk because going back quite a few years ago, I was chatting to mm. a mate of mine one night, and he said, well, the, the Bible was all about taking risks. And I thought, is it? 
And mm. he said, yeah, read Timothy. And I got, got home, got out my NIV study Bible. And sure enough, you know, it was talking about Christianity is about taking risk. Mm. And I then quoted this last month to a vicar. And he said, well, show me where. And of course, I was flicking through Timothy, couldn't find it. And it was <laughs> it was actually was in Timothy, but in the notes underneath, you know. That, yeah, yeah. So Timothy yeah. doesn't actually say that. But. But. Christianity taking risks. Mm. What does that mean to you, good sir? Well, it means moving out in faith and trusting what God might be saying to us. You know, hearing comes from the word and uh, of faith comes from hearing. So it's got to start with that, not just what we think is the right thing to do. Um, faith comes from hearing. So when we hear God, uh, we go out and do something. Now, you know, that was the German street thing uh, for me. Sometimes it's in a uh, concert performance uh, worship environment you know where i literally do not know what to do uh, and then all of a sudden out of dependency comes something and you just go with it sometimes it's it's taking risk with it when you're writing a song because you get stuck and then you have to take a risk by just letting it go for a bit and then it comes back again yeah i mean adventures of faith i've not always got it right but I remember the day we had no money at all. Um, I was told our church was closing down and I was sort of full time at the time. Everything was going wrong in our particular church gathering setting and had a one son on the way. And I remember walking down the road thinking, what are we going to do? You know, and I felt God say to me, no, you carry on with what you're doing, carry on with what you're doing. And a few weeks later, we need to move and i saw this house i saw a sign that said for sale uh we had very little resources but we took a risk and we went we went for it and you know 40 odd years later we're still in the same house oh, wow. um but god god opened up the way you know so i think we take risks based on what god is saying to us not just what we feel we ought to be doing i think that that's the, the big thing to be able to discern and trust and accept the fact that we might make a mistake. Yes. Creativity comes out of, of making mistakes. So, you know, we try things and they work and some don't. Yeah. But you don't know till. You speak a word in a, in a meeting over somebody or you sing something out and you hope, you know, I get frightened when people say, God told me. Actually, I felt God told me something and you sing it out and you hope it hits the mark and then, People come up to you and say, yes, uh, I was really touched by that. That that helped me. Yes. So, yeah, that's what, for me, taking risks is about. Believing God. And when he speaks, when we feel he speaks. And sometimes we need to talk it through with other people as well, of course, not just go off on our own, do our own thing. You talk about the house. What other risks have you taken where you thought it just doesn't make sense, but you knew it was of God? Well, first of all, it was, it was the whole idea of going full-time as a musician. Yeah. I mean, I remember... Um, that was a new thing because music in those days, musicians just weren't really encouraged too much. And I remember, I mean, my mum had got the idea that I'd gone religious, right? And she got the idea that I'd taken up music. But I remember the, the day I sat her down around the fireside and I said, "Mum, I said I'm going to become a, a full-time musician for the Lord." And uh, she said to me, "Oh, David," she said, "You're not going to become one of those Sex Pistols, are you?" <laughs> they were the band of the day. <laughs> You know, such was my testimony at home, but there we oh, are. brilliant. Why <laughs> yeah. did she say the Sex Pistols up? <laughs> I think they were on the TV all the time at the... <laughs> 76, 77. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and I was, I was, I think I was given sort of £10 a month from the local church wow. as a music. So that was a big risk. I didn't know um, what, what that would lead me into. And then, you know, moving on... Um, Can I just say, to interrupt before you move on, Actually, that was quite a risk for the church because I would have thought in 1976-77 to pay somebody to be a musician by a local yeah. church, that was a risk because they would normally say, oh, yeah, no, we that... have to spend it on such and such who wants to go and evangelise the penguins in Antarctica. You know, That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, And that was very much the background that I came out of, um, relational, organic, uh, and encouraging the creative. Um, I had people around me, Nick Butterworth, a um, great illustrator yes. now, who... Um, uh, really was in many ways one of my major mentors wow. and he saw that music touches people it communicates and was willing to back me but you know 10 pound a month wasn't a lot to pay the mortgage and so on and so forth uh, and then you know risks 
going on journeys. I, I was at a meeting um, up in Doncaster and a chap came up to me. I'd never met him before. He said, I'd like you to come to Malaysia with me. I mean, people say those sort of things and you, you just let them go yeah. by. But there was something that made me think, yes, yes, this is right. And so I had hardly spoken to him, but all of a sudden I'm buying an airline ticket to go to Malaysia for three weeks. Wow. And in fact, on the way, we went via Aeroflot, Russian yeah. airline. My clothes ended up in Argentina or somewhere, Buenos Aires, on the way to Malaysia. And all I had was my guitar for three weeks. Well, I, I managed to buy some clothes, but there yeah. we are. Um, but anyway, that was a risk. And there I was moving into this new territory with this chap I did not know. But from that time onwards, a whole world opened up to me and I became a, a frequent traveler to the, the Far East, uh, Malaysia and uh, and so on and so forth, Singapore. And my music opened up in, in, new, in new ways uh, through that. So it was, it was hearing God's voice and, and following after him rather than just a preconceived idea, which we tend to do yes. sometimes, being sensitive to that. Yeah, I and mean, that's a big risk, isn't it? Mm. In, in both factors here, from the chap who, who went to you to say yeah. that, but also yeah. for you to hear it, because we talked about listening earlier on, you heard it, mm. obviously prayed about mm. it, and then, and then mm. went for it. How many, how many yeah. people said, oh, I don't think you should be doing that, Dave? Well, the thing that was all part, part of the risk as well was having a wife who was willing to let me go for, for that length of yeah. time, um, of which I am immensely grateful. So, you know, for her, maybe that was even a bigger risk because she was losing me for uh, three weeks and two young sons uh, behind. So it's listening to that voice and, and following it. And, you know, various moves and initiatives I've, I've taken down through my, my life where it feels uncomfortable and you don't know quite where it's going to lead, but you know it, it's right, and so you follow it. You know, yeah. I've been blessed in, in the process. I was talking to Brian Houston six months ago, and yeah. it was a very similar conversation to what we're having now. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden said to him, well, in light of that, what does dying to self mean to you? And... It went mm -hmm. off on one, and it was it was incredible. If you haven't heard the episode, I think it's episode twenty eight, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, it's worth having a listen. But I'm, Brian is a good stalker. Yeah, he's brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I'm going to ask you as well then. Or surrender. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then Brian's interpretation spin on it might be different from mine. But I think surrender is one of those words that we have actually um, misconstrued. Because surrendering isn't a passive thing. I don't think surrendering is just giving in. And, and and falling to the floor and saying, I surrender before God, is actually giving up our own uh, abilities and strengths and making way for God's strengths to come in. So whereas surrendering can be, be looked upon as a negative thing, uh, or I surrender, you're actually beginning to embrace God's strength, what God says about you, rather than what we say about ourselves. Because I think for everybody... This question of identity is really at the core of what we need to discover, who we really are, what, what has God said about us, mm. and not what is our conditioning and our social background and what other people say about us. And we build around ourselves this sort of image based upon our own view of ourselves or the way other people have looked yes. upon us, rather than surrendering to the greater truth, which is what God says about us, that we're, you know, loved, we're accepted, not because of what we do, but because of who we are um, made in his image. And I think surrendering is letting go of our preconceptions about ourselves and letting God come in and change the way we think about ourselves. And in so doing, giving us the strength to embrace his strength rather than our strength. I mean, that's what they, you know, the theologians call it the exchange life or, you know, uh, life in the vine uh, where we're joined to the branch and we're, we're finding our strength in, in God. And in, in order for that to happen, we've got to let go of an awful lot of stuff that goes on in our mind that tells us we're useless. We haven't quite made the grade. Look at that person. They're really good. One day you might be as good if you try harder. And it all becomes self-effort, self-effort, self-effort rather than realizing we can relax back, surrender to God and say, Lord, I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to allow you to show me the way to live. And I'm going to believe the things you say about me. 
which is you're for me, you're not against us, that I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And we live out our lives like that. And that is the good news. Yeah. I don't know who wrote the classic chorus, I Surrender All, but I always remember Tony mm. Campolo saying he, he yeah. wanted to change the lyrics, and I've said this before, to mm. I Surrender 10% because that's the majority of what people would do. Well, it is. That's right. That's right. And it, it's a great uh, song. But um, And then we end up going out to the car park and having a, an argument about who parked in front of us or whatever. <laughs> I think we've got a uh, surrendering is adjusting the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world. And in so doing, we then begin to reflect the light that's that's there, but hidden by our own self-evaluation of ourselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll treat all this as a, a warmer pact, if that's okay. Yeah. You, the, <laughs> you're now on the stage, main stage. Yeah. What really cheeses you off as a singer, songwriter, worship leader... Mm-hmm. When you see people in front of you, and you maybe not, maybe you know you're so relaxed, you wouldn't want to go up and say, "Can't you see what you're missing?" Mm. What cheeses you off? I think this idea that Christianity is all about laws, rules, and regulations. You see, for me, the gospel is about grace, and grace means God does something for us. And I find um, a lot of mixed messages come across. You know, because God has done this, we've got to do this. Uh, and it's not coming out of a love response. It's coming out of obligation and transaction. And that's very much an Old Testament understanding of God. Even in the worship circles, it can be, uh, we've got to worship because then God's presence might come. It's like a reward. Yeah. And, you know, whereas for me, it's the other way around. We re- we worship because we understand that God is for us, he's not against us, and his love flows out towards us. And in so doing, our works flow out from that position of seeing what God has done for us. And so I find it difficult when I'm responding to the mixed message where you get, oh, God is good, but we've got to do this to earn his favor and his approval, which can come through. Now, that's not to say that uh, discipleship and um, uh, following after God aren't important. No, they are. But they're a response. They're a response to his ability, you know. Often we get the cart before the horse. We're talking about the importance of deeds, of worship, and so on and so forth, before we actually see yes, God is worthy to be worshipped, and not just because he says he is, but because we found that in our experience or God has is beginning to show us. So this this issue of law and grace, which, of course, goes back to um, mm-hmm. New Testament, Apostle Paul, you know, right into those Galatians, you know, getting angry. Have you not heard? Um are you reverting back to the law so quickly? And that's what makes Christianity so different from all the other religions of the world because it's not our reward. It's not a reward that God blesses us. It's God has blessed us through Christ and given us all spiritual blessings through Christ. And then as we open our, up our eyes to that, then it changes our perception. So, yeah, long-winded answer, but that for me is the core. And if you look at my songs, that, that's really what I'm trying to emphasize. Um, I'm a new creation, no more in condemnation. So many Christians live in guilt, uh, a sense of yeah. failure. I haven't lived up to all that, you know, God wants me to be. Well, he does want you to be, you know, fruitful and a blessing, and he does want you, but he needs you to know that you're loved, you know, just like Jesus when he was uh, being um, baptized right at the beginning. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't done anything, but he was loved. And if we can convey that to the world outside, you know, that, that sense of, of love, dignity, of communication, of, 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 of listening, they will see something, I believe, um, that's real and authentic, that, that is Christ through that. And uh, they'll be attracted you know, with my wife, there was somebody said the other day, when you walked into the room, you know, the room changed. And that's what we, we do. Uh, we should be doing anyway, not should. Uh, we we are encouraged to do as we as we see something of God's, God's love and God's light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm. church today, we know that post-COVID, attendances are down by 20%, yes. but they're already on the decline yes. anyway. Yes. And I'm meeting more and more people... Okay, majority of which are living in Northern Ireland, because that's where mm-hmm. I, I live now, where they seem to fall into the category that's going quite well in America now called the Duns movement, mm-hmm. where they're done with going to church. Mm. And yet they, they haven't lost faith in God, no. but they, they seem to be that I just can't be bothered anymore. Yeah. So what can the church do about it? 
and maybe what can Dave Bilber do about it on a Saturday night where he's singing in yeah in a rainy Sheffield nightclub or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think focus on the fact that church is, is changing and the style of church is changing. I mean, my roots are, you know, it wasn't all about meetings um, when I first became a, a Christian. It was about relationship and it was about organic expressions of, of Christianity. So if we can model some of that and be Christ out to the world, um, instead of trying to get them into this gathering of, of rows of seats where they're just listening to some worship music and then the preacher, I, I think we can make some headway. Church is changing. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got the, the whole um, internet and the, the live streaming and all these things. I think we could start using those creatively. Uh, that's really good. But uh, connecting to ordinary people, is where it's got to start making friends with with people, yeah. Our neighbours, you know, we've got these grand grand views about going off uh, over to overseas, but touching people where they are, revealing Christ through our attitudes and through the way we we live our lives, a, a different way, is the, is the place where we've got to start. And I think you know the way we do our meetings, which is what we have probably started the question uh, talking about, has got to reflect that. It's got to be a lot more welcoming. It's got to be a lot more relational. You know, why do we always have to listen to the preacher for 40 minutes? Um, dialogue. Can we provoke dialogue? Preaching styles are, are outdated. Can we encourage people in the workplace to, to gather in a different way? I, I, I get, you know, where you're saying about the drones because, you know, there are many... The Duns. The Duns. Drones. <laughs> the drones. <laughs> yeah, they're over there as well. Yeah. You're thinking Radiohead again, aren't you? Yeah, I'm thinking that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, church is declining as such. So, but we've got to find different ways uh, uh, of being new wine skin. You know, there was a controversy there just just now about forty minute pastors and everything else like that. Mm. What would you do instead then, instead of a forty five minute sermon? Yeah, I'd have a short talk and then open it out for dialogue. Yeah, you know, if I were to, you know, and sometimes I do speak in in situations. But what I love to do is sing a song, talk about it, get some response. Talk, sing another song, you know, mix it all up. Yeah. Rather than, you know, the, the, the one dimensional way. You know, the way we do our meetings, the, the, there is sitting in rows. Why have we got to sit in rows? I mean, in my early days, we used to sit in a circle. But then what happened was a wor- the worship band became more prominent. And we were, before, before long, we were back into this whole environment of a stage and, and, and the worship band. But when you're in a circle, you're looking at each other. It's like sitting in a, a, around a table. That's I was hearing some people talk about having a, a dinner party. The best way is to sit in a circle uh, and y- you can see people opening up our homes, you know, uh, all, the, all these things that perhaps were in my early days very much uh, at the centre. Perhaps we've lost something of that in the, in the attempt to, to build the mega church. And I'm not against mega churches because they, they, you know, there's some great, great opportunities that they provide. But it's got to be rooted in organic church life and relationships. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, one final question on music, and then we'll ask the mm. final question. I said like Paul there, didn't I? One final. <laughs> <laughs> but a really good friend of mine, he was uh, recently lambasted by the choir of all things because he took a, a traditional Charles Wesley hymn, mm. but put it to a new funkier beat. Mm. and that the choir were really up to how dare you do this to a traditional hymn, how right. dare you, and all this sort of stuff. And the, the vicar had to intervene and say, well, actually, if you know the truth, uh, Charles Wesley nicked that tune anyway from a, yeah. a pub classic. Yeah, yeah. So would that be a thing that you could you could do to suggest that it's just bring more, more tunes, maybe even a secular tune in or something like that? Well... Yeah, you think about it. I mean, that is true with a lot of the hymns. You know, um, a lot of were popular songs of, of the time, but they then just put words to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember being in. In fact, Noel Richards was 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 there. It was something he was hosting up in um, up in the north of England in Halifax, and I was there with my guitar. I just did an acoustic set, just just me, and the others had the band around them, and I remember. It, just launching into uh, the Elvis, I can't help falling in love with you, and it felt, you know, it made sense at the time. Uh, mm. It it just felt it connected with where 
the time was. So yeah, I think I think we can bring all those things in, surely. Yeah. Well, tunes. There are a couple of tunes that I've really thought. No, that's out of order. Somebody wrote Christian lyrics to the Match of Day theme tune. <laughs> oh well, the worst I had was um, when I did Songs of Praise a number of years ago, and uh, it was in the East End of London, and I had to convince the band that we had to sing the East Enders theme tune no. to some new Christian words, which they took quite a bit of convincing. No. <laughs> Because Mrs. Yeah. Brian May had a hit with that, didn't she? She did. When she put words mm. to it. Yeah. No, this was this was more sort of Christian-based words. I was the sort of intermediate between the producers and the the band. I had to be very diplomatic. Well, of course, you know, we were there to do it, so we did it. I'm sure the drummer would have enjoyed going do doom do doom do doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever at the beginning. Yeah, that was the big moment. <laughs> yeah, that was the big moment. <laughs> How did it go down? Can you remember? Hmm. Okay, okay. Actually, the production team weren't that happy with the version, but it was okay. <laughs> it was all right. Well, there you go. Here's a change for mm. you. I'd like you then for your next album to do Creep. All oh, right. Okay, but maybe change the words. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Especially mm. the swearing bit. Mm. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much. Final question, sir. It's been a real pleasure to hear what you've had to share. Thank you so much. Mm. There's plenty of stuff there that needs to be listened again to and then chewed over. Thank you. I appreciate that immensely. So, final question. I ask this to every guest as we round up. Christian hero, please. Someone that has encouraged you. You might have read his biography or even autobiography. Mm. Or you've heard stories about this person. Mm. And two qualifying rules are that A, has to be dead. Mm. And secondly, not in the Bible. So, Dave Bilbrough. Okay. Who is it, please? Well, actually, there's two and it's difficult to sort of decide which one. Well, I'll tell you what. Because you're very gracious mm. to me, I'm going to let you have both. Okay. Well, the first one is a guy who would be quite unknown in certain circles, but he was born in 1895. Mm -hmm. And he went to Marlborough College and had a military background. And his name is Norman Grubb. Now, Norman Grubb was someone who I had the privilege of meeting right at the end of his life. He was 98 wow. uh, when he died. And I think he was about 96 when I met him. And he'd lived quite a remarkable life. He w went to Marlborough College mm -hmm. and went into the military and got the, I don't know, Red Cross or Military Cross. And then he became a Christian and married C.T. Studd's uh, daughter. Oh, really? Now, C.T. Studd was this great missionary out in the Bel Belgium Congo. Who gave up his cricket career and he was some cricketer as well. He gave up his cricket career and a very wealthy man as well, and gave up a, a lot of his wealth. He, he was anyway. Norman went out for ten years out in the Belgian Congo and served the people there, translated the Bible. He came back penniless uh, and formed the InterVarsity Fellowship, uh, which was a, a new thing communicating to students, and it became a, a world, you know, a huge movement. He became a friend of somebody called Reese Howells, who um, was a great intercessor, and we wrote a, a remarkable book about this person, Reese Howells. And then he formed a missionary organization. Well, no, he took over a missionary organization called the WEC. It had 35 people and was struggling, and it then became a worldwide movement with thousands of workers. Isn't that Wycliffe Evangelical College? Yeah, yeah. So this guy... You know, it lived quite a life. Now, his central focus always was this uh, essence of the gospel not being works, but being good news. And he wrote a remarkable amount of books, The Spontaneous You, Once Caught, No Escape, I, Yes, I Am. Um, and all these books stressed and emphasized something which I think uh, many of us could learn from. Mm. Uh, which is, we talked about surrender, which is drawing on the life of Christ and beginning to see what God has done for each of us um, and making us as part of his, his body. Right up until the end, he was speaking, communicating, taking home group meetings at the age of 98. He was a remarkable man wow. and someone who perhaps is an inspiration. He saw things which 
I think a buried treasure in the in the Church of of Christ, which you know can be reclaimed. He saw something of what Paul the Apostle called the mystery of Christ in us, and for him, you know, Christianity. Although he was a, a radical figure, for him, Christianity was living out that life of Christ, not just our own efforts, but drawing on his resources. So it's an inspiration. Wow. Yeah, the other person was a guy called Morris Smith, who uh, I started out with many, many years ago. He died two years ago. And again, he was in his 80s uh, when he died. But he was an inspiration to me because his view of Christianity was very free, was very relaxed. He was very honest. Um, he was always looking for new insights of, of truth. He wasn't content with just what he knew. He was a seeker and a finder and a seeker and a finder. And he was a great encouragement to me. He was a great raconteur. Uh, and many would say that he was one of the founding, leading influences in what we now call the house church movement. Mm. He was prophetic in so much as he would speak spontaneously for the long lengths of time. I would some, sometimes just get one song in. Other times, he, he'd, he'd say, "I've got nothing, Dave. You just, you just sing." But I learned so much from from Morris Smith, and uh, I'm very, very grateful. He became a companion to Gerald Coates and John Noble, and and some of these. Towards the end of his life, he became quite a controversial figure. But you know, he was always looking for something more. He didn't want to be trammeled by some of the institutional views about you know the way we do denominations and, and Christianity, some of the things we've been talking about, really. Yeah. But why is that controversial? He wouldn't be conformed, and he was always looking for the new and the fresh and taking the risks. And, you know, some of his ideas towards the end were a little bit left field, shall we say. But it didn't involve a stick, did it? He was, yeah, no. Uh, but, he, you know, he was an inspiration to me, and I'm grateful for him. Well, well, listen, thank you for mentioning those two people. Yeah. I think I, I learned so much from listening about and hearing and reading from uh, Christians that have walked the, walked the mm. walk and talked the talk and walked the talk and mm. even more importantly. So I yeah. shall listen out for those people again. Mm. Dave Bilbrath, thank you so much for your valuable time today. Thank you. And uh, I really appreciate that. And one final thing to say to you, and that is up the hammers. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the next season. <laughs> and of course you've got a former Bristol City player being your manager so what could what could possibly go wrong what could go wrong <laughs> Dave Bilber thank you so much thank you God bless.